Hello, friends. For the past few weeks, we've been taking a look at different criticisms Jesus faced during his time in ministry, and he was no stranger to criticism at all. And the reason why we're doing this isn't to give us a blueprint for how we should relate to criticism, and yes, there's good examples in there. The thing I don't want us to miss is that each criticism reveals something about Jesus's character, his priorities, Jesus's authority, and his mission. So in the two sections of scripture that we'll be looking at today, Jesus ticks all those boxes with his response. So let's jump right into the text in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, verse 28. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, and I want to back up and just give a little refresher on the Pharisees. We've been talking about them a lot lately, and the more I learn about them, the more I realize my assumptions and, and the way I view them when I read the text is, is not quite historically accurate because my assumption, especially in this passage, is that the Pharisees were operating like some sort of secret police. They were some powerful force and they were spying on Jesus' disciples. But in reality, at this time, at this point in history, the Pharisees was a 200-year-old renewal movement, but it had very little political power. The, the, the initial impulse of the Pharisees were, how can we... Uh, please God the most, uh, but they became very uneasy with the, the, the lack of political power. They couldn't make people do what they wanted people to do, and they started to manipulate and coerce. And uh, so, so I don't want us to forget that there were many wise and humble Pharisees, and many just wanted to please God, but not not this group in this text. These Pharisees, they weren't like secret police at all, but they were a lot more like the noisy news reporters that we have in our day and age. Not the classical kind of reporter, but the sensational kind, yelling with the clickbait headlines and, and in, in that, that same uh, posture they were using. And they were more similar to the talking heads on cable news. So they weren't uh, even spying on Jesus. Uh, they, they noticed because if you know, remember the past couple of weeks, we've talked about how the crowds kept coming to Jesus and he kept teaching them. He, his fame was growing. It was really difficult to miss Jesus and his disciples. So they're walking, oh, there's Jesus. And wait a second, this is today's headline. They are picking heads of grain on Shabbat. I could see the headline now, Sabbath scandals. This was a really big deal 
Because if you made a list of things not to do in the first century Judaism, working on the Sabbath would be really close to the top of the list. Sabbath would, like, it, it, was, it was tied up into their identity as God's people, as Jewish. It's, it was a big deal in their era, but Sabbath in Israel is still a big deal. In fact, a couple of years ago, someone sponsored Marie and I to go and, and enjoy Jerusalem and, and Israel and, and tour it for the first time. And at almost sundown on Friday night, my wonderful sweet Marie said, oh, I could really use a Starbucks. And like the American Christian I am, I thought, oh, hey, no problem. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go find one. And I start walking on the city and I notice there's, there's a few things that are off. Well, it started even before I got outside the hotel. When I got onto the elevator, uh, none of the buttons worked. And it stopped on every floor going down. And once I finally made it to the lobby, this wonderful like automatic espresso machine, it had been covered up with this giant thick cloth. And I thought, that's weird. Um, this is my backup if I can't find a Starbucks. And I went to, to, to see what was going on and I noticed the machine had been unplugged because heaven forbid we push a button on the Sabbath day, an elevator, it's called a Sabbath elevator and the doors open and close and it go, stops on every floor on the way up and stops on every floor going down. So you can ride it, but you can't do the work of, of pushing the button. Same with the automatic coffee machine. And as I walked through the streets, it was surreal because it was almost sundown. And I noticed how uh, all the businesses were closed. And so there were some, some just different things to me. But I don't want to forget in this, this talk about Sabbath and this, this response to this criticism, how much beauty is wrapped up in that. As I was walking along the streets, I saw families walking to the synagogue together. I could look inside houses and see in, through the window multiple generations of families uh, sitting down to have a feast and the, laughing and storytelling and this sense of peace that's it's almost palpable that was going through the city when everyone was, was, was starting to practice this. So I can see, I can use my imagination to see how, how that could send a little ripple effect of picking off heads of grain and people would note it would stand out because people were behaving in, a, in this peaceful, serene, uh, serene manner. So there's lots of good stuff uh, wrapped up in the Sabbath. Uh, on the streets, I could see a couple of teenage boys and they were, they were dancing as the sun was going down. And I didn't, I didn't know what they were saying because they were singing in Hebrew. But I, I asked my guide the next day, because he wasn't working for 24 hours, and he was like, oh yeah, they're, they're welcoming Sabbath. It's something that you receive um, uh, as, as this gift from God, this gift of rest. So I say that to be clear, that the Sabbath is not bad in and of itself. There's a lot of goodness wrapped up inside of this practice today and in the first century. It matters how you use it. A hammer can build a house, but a hammer can do some damage as well. So with Sabbath, I do it. If you can't get a hold of me on a Friday, it's because Marie and I practice a modified form of this. And I wish I could tell you today, like, oh, the Sabbath for me, 
We practice this, a 24-hour period of rest, through a careful examination of scriptures. Uh, but actually, I read, I read an article online a couple of years ago, and it was this article about zoo animals and how they, they discovered that even zoo animals are healthier when they're not on display seven days a week. And if they gave them a day of rest, there was less diseases, they were happier, their coats, the polar bears' coats came in thicker. So taking a day off definitely provides a beautiful rhythm to life. And I believe it's baked into the structure of this universe from, from quantum physics to biology, mental health, and, and a lot, lot more. So the shameless Sabbath plug is over. I think it's a really good practice for us to, to put into, into place, but that's not the problem here. The problem is that the Sabbath became a weapon. And to understand uh, why it was such a big deal a little bit to, to these Pharisees, like uh, as part of their story uh, of, of the Jewish people going into captivity and they, they, they were in exile in Babylon, not working one day a week was a significant way to be different, a significant way for the, these groups of, this group of exiles, foreigners in a, in a strange land. It was their way to be different. And that's where it started to get wrapped up into their identity. But it actually goes back further than that. All this beautiful poetry in the first few chapters of Genesis, and God created, and God rested, but on the seventh day, God rested. If it was good enough for God, it was good enough for the Hebrews, and even in the Exodus, imagine, you know, these, these folks leaving slavery in Egypt, and they were commanded to take a rest, keep the Sabbath day holy in the seven commandments, in the seven commandments, in the ten commandments on the seventh day. You can tell I'm a numbers guy. But imagine telling this group of former slaves that they needed to rest one day a week. This group who for generations there, it wasn't just their identity that, that was wrapped up in their ability to work. It was their life. You can't make bricks. What good are you, slave? And to, to take this generation, generational mindset in these people that have been delivered from, from, from slavery, it's like retraining them how to be human. Saying, God is saying, I'm in control. I'm in control of this, and you are not what you do. Your identity is not based on what you can produce. Take a rest one day of week. And I love this other tidbit. It's also a way of reminding ourselves that we're not God. All, all that to-do list and all that stuff, put it aside one day a week because God is in control of activity and God is in control of space and a, rem a reminder that God is in control of time. So, we find ourselves here in first century Israel. In this practice, as we've seen, it, the reason why it became a national sense of pride, this was like a, a flag. You know, some people get so proud when they see their country's flag. There's a source of national pride. That's how the Sabbath functioned for these people. And the practice became a way of showing off your Jewiness, how Jewish you were. I got that term from my Jewish friend. You know, and, and it became not the good kind of pride, like, oh, I'm proud to be a part of this. It was, 
we do this, so we're better than the outsiders. We're better than the Gentiles. That's how this group of people practiced it. And then it turned the Jews not against, not just against other, other outside groups, other tribes, other nations, other kingdoms. They started turning on each other because they were one-upping each other. Well, I'm more Jewish than you because I don't do this on the Sabbath. I don't do that on the Sabbath. It became this, this, this competition. It wasn't about refraining from work and receiving this grace from God. It turned into something motivated by a weird mix between religion and nationalism. And religion and nationalism, they don't mix well. So, how does Jesus answer this criticism about doing work, picking these heads of grain? Does he go, seriously guys, does he use logic? Come on, it's, it's a, couple, a couple heads of grain, just back off. Uh, reminded, that reminds me of the elevator and the, and the coffee machine that I experienced. Like, ah, it's just a button. No, this is where Jesus' answer reveals a lot about his character, his priorities, his authority, and his mission. And there's good news in there for us, too, in his response. So, if you can, put on your first century Jewish hat and glasses and earphones and listen to Jesus' response again that we read a few minutes ago. He answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Did you catch that? He's comparing himself to David, the national hero at the time. In a time of David's story that, the, that these Pharisees would have known, that David, who had been anointed the rightful king of Israel, was on the run from King Saul, unfairly persecuted, literally running for his life, running from injustice. So Mark does this thing. All the gospel writers do this quite often, where the reader is left questioning who they identify with in this passage. Do I identify with the Pharisees? Am I one of the crowd? Am I, am I one of Jesus' followers? But G Jesus in this passage is doing the same thing to the Pharisees. They would have to identify, who am I in that story? Am I with King Saul and pursuing and, and, and persecuting the Israel's rightful king? Or am I on the side of God? So Jesus is saying here, back off for sure. He's saying, I'm the king. What you're doing is unfairly persecuting me. But also with the Sabbath, he's saying that God's heart isn't to burden people. God's heart is to set people free. And then Jesus hits them with this amazing thought. In verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. And Jesus is using a loaded phrase there, the Son of Man. What is all that about? The original readers would have understood this is the Daniel 7 passage that is, at this point in history had captured Israel's attention. They were waiting for the Messiah prophesied in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. 
In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, oh, remember that son of man Daniel was talking about? That's me. And to think about the the powerful ideas in there, all power, authority, glory, all dominion is given to the Son of Man. That's who Jesus was saying he was, that Jesus, Jesus was saying, I am Lord of all. That's really good news for us. We're invited to follow Jesus, not, not as a burdensome rhythm of living, but We're invited to follow Jesus who says, no, no, I've got this. I've got you and and I want to set you free no matter what you're facing today. God's heart for you is is to, to, to infuse you with his strength so you can get through no matter what you're facing. And Jesus is saying, I've got you in my hands. I will take care of you. I'm remembering that there's a verse that says a bruised reed will not be broken. Like God's heart moves toward, God's tenderhearted towards those that are feeling weak and broken. So let's examine our attitudes. Are we, are we caught up? Maybe we're not caught up in how people uh, practice the Sabbath, but what is our attitudes towards other people? Do we have a got you attitude? Mm, saw you picking the heads of grain. And maybe it's not with something religious. Maybe it's just the way, maybe it's just a critical spirit in your family. Oh, I wish you'd do it that way. I wish, no, you're not doing it right. Or, or do we have the heart of Jesus? Like, I'm going to assume the best. I need to do what's best for my people. What's, yes, there's, there's like my preference of how to do something, but then there's the right heart. There's the letter of the law and then the heart of the law. And that following Jesus, you fulfill both of those getting to the heart of things. The letter of the law will take care of itself. So we're invited to follow Jesus and the rhythms of his life, but we're also invited to examine our loyalties. When we are most loyal to anything other than Jesus, we're in bondage. The disciples weren't breaking any rules set out in the Torah, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But it was because of people's loyalty to tradition, loyalty to to this is how we've always done it. That's where they had the problem. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the king of the universe. Be loyal to me. What I say goes. I'm Lord of even the Sabbath. So what what are you most loyal to? Is it your job? Is it a sports team? Is it a nation? Are you most loyal to a, a substance or, or, or your own routine? Is, is that over Jesus? We're all invited today to give our supreme allegiance to Jesus and to receive what Jesus came to give us. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
I love Eugene Peterson's take on that verse. He, he paraphrases Jesus' words as this, I've come to give them a more full and better life than they could dream of. So maybe we, we are supremely allegiant to what we produce in our jobs or, or whatever, but that, that job, those accomplishments, the, the, the nice words from people, it doesn't even compare to the kind of life Jesus is offering you. Yes, we lay down a few things when we follow Jesus because they'll hold us back from running the race that we were meant to run. And the peace, the, the unreasonable peace that comes from following Jesus is way better than doing things our own way. And the third thing I want us to consider from this is that Jesus was right about his claims. I mean, his resurrection was seen by eyewitnesses. We have eyewitness accounts of people who saw that he fulfilled all the prophecies, did what he said he would do. I love the, the thought from C.S. Lewis that, that Jesus isn't just in the middle. He's not just a good teacher. He was either the madman or the Messiah. He was either someone who, who was eating some, some bad hummus and hallucinating or... He was who he said he was. There's nothing in between. So I want to invite you, no matter where you're at on your faith journey, I want to invite you to follow Jesus in a simple way. I want you to create your own Sabbath scandal this week. I dare you to practice the Sabbath this week. And don't forget, don't, don't miss that I said practice if you've never done this before, it's not going to be perfect. Start slow. Maybe 24 hours is too much. Try three hours. Try three hours where you're not going to have a to-do list. Three hours where you're not going to try to make a phone call <clears throat> about work. Like, Just rest. Have some fun. Uh, maybe if you're a workaholic, maybe playing a game on your phone is rest, and it's, it's counterintuitive. Maybe... If you play too many games on your phone, maybe sitting in some silence or reading scriptures, but start slow. Don't get religious about it. Start slow and start with this in mind. The words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So we've got this wonderful opportunity. I mean, if there's any place that I feel like it's easy to play the God card, is not working for 24 hours in a week. I mean, we get a religious reason to say, I have 24 hours where I'm going to enjoy God. So you'll need to find the rhythm that works for you and the day that works for you. Uh, and for me, it looks like no technology. Uh, for me, it looks like no decision-making and definitely no to-do lists. But what a beautiful gift that's right under our noses every single week. God's given us the gift of time. And in scripture, we see Jesus regularly getting away to recharge. I think this is one of the most prophetic ways that we can live in today's hyper-busy, overworked, adrenaline-fueled culture is to say, no, I'm not gonna do that one day a week. Imagine if more people Shut off all the inputs, media, and all, all the garbage that's out there, all the fear that's out there, and just connected with God and their loved ones for 24 hours. 
Imagine if more of us weren't chained to our calendars for just one day a week. Imagine if more of us had the perspective that comes from just a nice little pause in the, in the week, whether it's at the beginning or middle, that gives perspective. Maybe we'd be less reactive and, and quick on the trigger with, our, with our, um, our tempers. So I want this for you. More importantly, God wants this for you. He's not asking something from you. He's holding this gift out and saying, come and follow me and follow me to take a day off. So try that and let me know how it goes. If you've got questions about the Sabbath or anything uh, that, that we've talked about, I really want these times together to be the first word. I don't want this to be the end of the conversation. If you have questions or something you want to add to, to this conversation, please send me an email at questions at sgbic.com. And I would love to take those and keep the conversation going and, and, and see what comes from it. Maybe we'll have a discussion, a uh, back and forth. Uh, maybe we put something up on YouTube or, or, or one, of those, one of those platforms that we won't be looking at on the Sabbath. I won't be looking. I'm not a Pharisee. Um, but let's, let's have some fun and, and kick these ideas around, okay? So until we're together again. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace and his rest. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.